This morning, I want to tell you a story about a man named uh, Leroy Booker. Right? So this is back in 1992. I wasn't even born yet. Okay, It's a long time ago. It doesn't matter, though. The year is not as important. So Leroy Booker and his life, before this night, uh, for a couple years, he had been experiencing like flu-like symptoms, like off and on, pretty much like in the background all the time. He, he was nauseous. He like had shakes, like chills. He just felt terrible all the time. And he went to the doctors. No one could understand why he felt so bad. They couldn't fix it. They tried a bunch of different things. So he just lived with the illness and these symptoms. Um, he even reported sometimes uh, experiencing blackouts and memory losses too. Just like totally a bad situation, but no one could figure out what was going on. So one night in January 1992, at 2.35 a.m., a truck driver lost control of his vehicle and crashed into Leroy's house. Just like drove straight into his house. Crazy incident. But as we will see in a twist of fate, this truck crashing into Leroy's house will actually save his life. So utility workers, obviously, once they removed the truck, um, there were some you know, safety things that needed to happen. Make sure there was no gas leaks and that kind of thing. Restore the power. Make sure nothing was like structurally damaged that would cause danger and then during this inspection and restoration of utilities they noticed that Leroy's chimney has been blocked by two feet of debris okay this debris caused the fireplace fumes to no longer vent properly but slowly leak back into the house for the last two years Leroy had been feeling sick and all these symptoms just happen to perfectly line up with carbon monoxide poisoning. In large doses, carbon monoxide would just, like, kill you, like, really quickly, actually. But in low doses, it causes you to have these kinds of symptoms. Your body is lacking oxygen. It doesn't work right. Your body's oxygen doesn't work right. Carbon monoxide actually binds with your red blood cells better than oxygen. So you essentially just suffocate to death. And your body can't unbind those red blood cells and carbon monoxide very easily. And so your body just stops being able to carry oxygen. On top of that, carbon monoxide is completely odorless. It's heavier than air, so it sinks to lower places. And because of how our bodies work and detect different chemicals in our bloodstream, you don't even know when you're suffocating on carbon monoxide. Here's a little science fact for you, Charles. I'll just throw this one in. Carbon uh, dioxide is the level in your bloodstream that your body uses to tell whether or not you're being suffocated. So it's not about how much oxygen is in your bloodstream, it's about how much CO2 is in your bloodstream. So any gas that displaces oxygen, that's not carbon dioxide, you can breathe it in and you'll feel just fine, you won't feel like you're suffocating, and then all of a sudden you'll get lightheaded and just pass out. Even though you're dying of asphyxiation, unless there's carbon dioxide building up, your body doesn't know that it's dying, which is just kind of crazy. So um, if you start feeling weird, go. <laughs> just start leaving. Don't just stick around. You're like, oh, I wonder what's going on. Anyway, so Leroy Booker had these carbon monoxide fumes coming back into his house. And because the truck crashed into Leroy's house and his chimney got inspected, his life was saved. Had that chimney stayed blocked, gotten worse... 
and those conditions kept getting worse, it would have cost Leroy his life. Now, can you guess what Leroy's profession was? Take a guess. <laughs> he wasn't a chimney sweep, but he was a general contractor. Okay? Professional, for years, had been a contractor. It would have been funnier if he was a chimney sweep. Okay, but he wasn't. But he was a building contractor. So he was well aware of the dangers of carbon, carbon monoxide buildup and the importance of keeping your chimneys well ventilated. And routinely, he would advise his customers to check their chimneys every two years. In an interview story with the local newspaper after all this craziness happened, he said these exact words, somehow or another, it never did dawn on me to check my own chimney. Just like, crazy. All right? Think about that. How often do we look at other people and recognize their improper practices or their failures or their problems? It's so easy. It's so easy to see other people's faults. It's so easy to see the dangers in other people's lives. But sometimes we are blind to our own situation. Scripture is a mirror that reflects back into our lives the reality of who we are and the reality of the world we live in. And it often urges us to check our own spiritual chimneys, so to speak. Right? Think about 2 Corinthians 13.5. It says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Today, we are continuing our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to find ourselves in the heart of Jesus' message, right in the center of chapter 6. Really what Jesus wants to be talking to us about. And Jesus, in this passage, is going to crash into our hearts this morning and make us examine our spiritual chimneys. Not in like a lost control kind of way, like the truck driver in Leroy's house, but in like a deliberate, loving, exposing the mess of your heart so you can change who you are kind of way. Things maybe we don't even realize. So stop turning in your Bible. I just want everybody to just sit for a second. Before we go into this, I want us to be prepared to be vulnerable and honest and open with ourselves to be able to critique our own hearts. Okay, so I just want to pray a really quick prayer for God to get us in that right headspace before we move into what Jesus has to say to us. Okay, please bow with me. God, we trust you, and we know your power, and we know your love for us. I just pray that you open up our hearts and our minds to truly hear and understand what your son has to say to us today. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, now you can open up to Matthew chapter 6, okay? And this morning, we're going to have the privilege of peering into God's hearts, God's heart through the words of Jesus. And we're also going to have the discomfort of peering into our own lives through the words of Jesus. So here's a simple fact that will help set the tone and understanding for what we're doing today. Think about this. Everybody has a heart. It's true. Everybody has a heart. But some people have God's heart, all right? So everybody has a heart, but some people have God's heart. What does that mean? 
Well, some people have been transformed to live like God. Some people have been confronted by Jesus and their heart has been changed. Over and over and over again, Jesus emphasizes the heart in all of his Gospels. We've already seen him talk about this in Matthew chapter 5. He, he talks about what's important, what's at the center of us. And the reason it's so important is, is that if God has your heart, then God has all of you. Right? If he has your core, he has all of who you are. So Jesus, through his words, is trying to orient our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions to how God sees things and who God is so that we can have his heart. We all have hearts, but we want God's heart. Now, you may not think about your heart very often, your spiritual one, but God does. You may not truly know what's in your heart, but God does. You may not care about the current state of your heart, but God does, and he wants to fix it. So far in Matthew chapter 5, we've looked at kingdom values, right? What kind of things should Christians care about? What kind of things should we strive for? Then we looked at kingdom character. How do we put these values into practice? How do we make them a part of who we are? And now, in this last, the last two chapters here, we're going to be going into kingdom practices. What do Christians actually do? And how, more importantly, how do we do them? Not just the action itself, but the motivation behind it. So, as we are in Matthew chapter 6, I want to give you some context to help you understand what Jesus is talking about in this chapter. So, during Jesus' day, the Jewish rabbis preached that there were three main acts of righteousness that should be practiced in order to live a proper spiritual life. The three spiritual practices were were almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. So giving, prayer, and fasting. These were the three main staples of any religious person's life in the days of Jesus. And it just so happens that Jesus, our rabbi and Lord, is going to talk about these three things in our passage this morning. So with that in mind, let's just start in verse 1. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. The first thing that Jesus says is take notice. In the Greek, it's beware. Pay attention. There is danger here. That's the very first words of Jesus. Beware. Take notice. The command to take notice is in the present imperative active. And I'm not a Greek scholar, and I'm not trying to throw Greek at you here, but my understanding is that that is something that is done continually. It's not something that was done in the past. It's not something you're planning on doing in the future. It's something you do right now, and you keep on doing it every single moment of every day for the rest of your life. It is presently here right now. So beware right now. Jesus is telling us that we need to be aware and cautious of our motives. Why are we really doing this? We need to be aware of our audience. Who am I really doing this for? Are we doing this to be noticed by others? If we are, Jesus says that we are in danger. 
Because if we do practice our righteousness before others, then our reward doesn't come from God, it comes from them. Another interesting point that Jesus uh, uses, a word that he uses here in Greek, is this word, yatron. The word for notice is this word. Does that look like anything to you in English? Theater, right? Jesus says that the wrong way to do things is to do them for theater, right? To be noticed, right? Do not perform your acts of righteousness as a performance so that other people can see it. Because it's not real then. It's a fake performance. And it doesn't really matter like a play in a theater. Right? To get a better idea of this, let's look at verse 2. So, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets, so that they will be praised by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. So Jesus clarifies his intent and what he's meaning here. If we do something, in this case, give to the poor, almsgiving, as one of the, like the rabbis would teach, giving to the poor almsgiving for the praise of others, then we will receive our reward from the audience that we're catering to. And in this case, it would be from other people, right? Not God. And Jesus uses another term here from the theater, which is the word hypocrite. If you were a part of home group, you can think back a while ago to the chapter where we were talking about the scribes and the Pharisees and the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. That was at Chuck's house when I walked in the random lady's house by accident and then I ended up getting to where I needed to be. It was that week. That, that was a woe. A woe to me for talking to my grandma and getting distracted. Okay. So the word hypocrite, we learned that week, is just the Greek word that means actor. Hypo is the prefix that means under, and the crit part of the word hypocrite in this context means a mask. So hypocrite is one who is under the mask. Someone who acts and plays out things. So Jesus is using two words from the theater here. To be noticed and to act as if you're wearing a mask. To deceive or to be someone you're truly not, or to mask your actual motivation. Take what Jesus is saying to heart here. When you are doing godly things, do not be an actor and put on a show for others to see, because God does not want that kind of righteousness. He does not want it. It isn't for him. It's for you. It's for you. If that's what you're doing, it's not for anybody else. It's for you. And to help you remember this a little bit easier, this idea for the day, um, Jesus says, do not do things for the praise of others. Okay? Came up with an acronym for you. The praise of others. P-O-O. Okay? (laughs) God doesn't reward us when we do things for the praise of others. Okay? God does not reward P-O-O. Okay. And I feel like if I leave this slide here, it's going to distract us for the rest of the day. So just keep that in mind, and let's just go back. Okay. So Jesus is making it very clear, 
phrase of others is bad. He's making it very clear that it is possible to do good things, even correct and godly things, with the wrong motives. It is possible to do godly things without God in mind, not for God at all. You can do something that God wants you to do, not for God. Not for God. That's kind of scary. Because that means we can get lost in it. But don't worry, it's not all doom and gloom. Jesus isn't here to just point out our failings and our corrupt human heart. But he's here to teach us how to properly do these practices, these things that are important, so that we can bypass our failing hearts and access the heart of God. Right? So Jesus is going to teach us how to do things in a godly way, which is actually really important here. So then, how should we be generous? Jesus is talking about giving. How do we give properly? Well, let's keep reading. Look at verse 3. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your charitable giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. First of all, I want you to take notice that it says, when you give to the poor. All right? Not if. Or someday you might, but when? It is proper for Christians to give to help those in need. That's just who we are. That's who God wants us to be. There isn't a dollar amount tied to that, right? We learned anything from the lady who gave her last penny. It doesn't matter the amount that you give as much as it matters the motivation behind the giving. So when you give to the poor... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You, you may have heard this be explained before, that this left hand and right hand talk is that all of our giving has to be totally anonymous. No one else should even know about it. In fact, maybe in the best case scenario, there wouldn't even be a record of the transaction happening at all as if it never even existed. But I think it goes deeper than that. Jesus doesn't say... Don't let other people see what your hands are doing. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Whose hands are we talking about? Your own hands. This isn't about other people and what they think about your giving. This is about you and what you think about your giving. And it isn't even bad to be seen by others doing good things. In Matthew chapter 5, we just read it a couple weeks ago, Jesus says, Indeed, when other people see your good works, they glorify your Father who is in heaven. It is not bad to be seen doing spiritual things, right? Spirituality, in fact, is good to be seen because it may spur someone on to do other good and godly things and be like, oh, why are they doing that? That's interesting. Something must really matter to them why they gave or prayed or whatever. But what Jesus is saying is that you have to be in the right place when you give. Don't draw attention to yourself for yourself. Imagine how messed up it would be if you were like passing out food or money or something to some homeless people down in downtown Grand Rapids. And right as you like pull out your money and you go hand them, the money, and they're like, they have their hand on you. are like, hold on. You snap a selfie real quick. Like, okay, I, 
thanks, and then you just like walk away. You're going to post it on social media later. That would be wrong, right? Right? That would be messed up. Don't give in that way, right? Let it be done not to draw attention to yourself. Your left hand and your right hand, they're illustrations of your giving and of your heart. Are you giving to reward yourself? Taking from this hand and you're just giving to someone else, but really you're just giving back to yourself through the praise of others or your own affirmation and how you feel about it, right? You may be giving something out of the wrong place and what you're actually doing is just buying your own praise from other people, right? Don't do that. Or are you doing it because God wants you to? That's the other option. If we do give in the way that God wants us to, for him and out of obedience, then the reward doesn't come from self-fulfillment. It doesn't come from P-O-O, the praise of others. It comes from God. God rewards us. And what is the reward from God? Think about that. What would be the reward from God? I think it's his heart. God gives us something that can't be taken away from us, that can't be corrupted, something that lasts forever. It's himself. God wants us to have him. So now that Jesus has shown us how to correctly do this spiritual practice, he uses the same method for the rest. So he talks about the practice, what are we doing? He talks about the purpose, who are we doing it for? And then he talks about the praise. Where is the proper praise coming from? This is going to help us understand a little bit more as we go through, and they should go a little bit faster now. So, right, let's go ahead and move on to the next section, which is prayer. Matthew 5 through 8, let's go ahead and read that. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. Don't be like a mask wearer, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corners, so they will be seen by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray for your father. Pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. So do not be like them. For your father who knows what you need, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus gives us expectations again. When you pray, not if you pray or maybe someday you'll pray, but when you pray. So if you aren't praying, then start. And when you start, or if you've already started, how do we pray the way that Jesus wants to? Well, he gives us some counterexamples as to what not to do. Don't be like a mask wearer. Don't be like a hypocrite who goes out and puts on a show and talks in front of people and has the right authoritative voice and they like, are shaking and they're moving right and they're really animated while they're praying and they look really holy. Don't be like that person, all right? And then he also says, don't be like the Gentiles. And the Gentiles thought that they were heard because of their many words and magic phrases. And if they repeated them enough and long enough, they could beseech your God and maybe break through the firmament that covered the top of the earth and reach the ears of the God. Okay? 
Jesus is saying, don't pray like that either. And from both of these counterexamples, I think we have a burden lifted off of us as to what prayer actually is. When you pray, you don't have to worry about impressing God. And you don't have to worry about impressing other people either. You don't have to do that. I think even the best of us, with the best words prayed, do you really think we'd be impressing God anyway? So great news. When you pray, you don't have to impress God. You don't have to impress people. When you pray, just bring what's already inside of you to him. Not what you think has to be inside of you. Okay? You aren't going to say anything he doesn't already know. He already knows everything. And what he wants is your heart. The heart behind your words. We also see that there are no magic words or many words that will do any kind of special trick. So simple words are just fine. Simple, easy, understand. Few words are just fine. So from here, Jesus goes on to instruct us then how he thinks we should pray. He says, don't pray like the mask wearers. Don't pray like the Gentiles. This is how I think you should pray. And what he's giving us here is not the perfect words to the ideal prayer. He's giving us the perfect structure, an attitude to an ideal prayer. Which brings us to the famous Lord's Prayer, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at verse 9 with me. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That just means holy. Set apart. You're special. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we, are also forgive, as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So what Jesus is imparting on us here are not magic words. These are not things that you can just, you can't just say this prayer over and over again and be good, right? Because that goes directly against what Jesus just taught about prayer. Jesus is reorienting our hearts and minds so that our prayers are in the right order, which is really important. When it comes to prayer, our needs are not the most important thing. It may feel like it. There might be a really pressing issue that's weighing heavy on us that we want to bring before God, but it is not the most important thing in a prayer. What is the most important thing? What does Jesus mention first? God is first. Our Father who is in heaven, he's above us, majestic, holy, set apart. As we read last week, heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Okay? He is above us. He sees it all. Holy is your name. Your kingdom, your will, The first thing in our prayer should be to recognize God's greatness, power, and our relationship to him. One of humility is submission. After we get that out of the way, after we put our hearts in the right place, reflecting on who we're praying to, to God, then we can bring him our needs. 
right? Give us this day our daily bread. This is what I need. And then after just one short sentence, Jesus moves on from that. Your needs are maybe not as important as you think in your prayer. And then he goes on to talk about forgiveness. And we'll get to that a little bit more in a second because he elaborates on it again. So just hold that thought. And then Jesus finishes by saying, protect us from sin, from evil, from the one who's behind it, all the evil in the world from Satan. So order is important. And if you're hard-hearted and you're praying out of obligation or for the praise of others, there is no benefit. Jesus' method is here to soften our hearts, to make us realize what we are doing in the act of prayer, to get that straightened out, to get this straightened out in here first. But of all the things that Jesus mentions in the Lord's Prayer, he decides to circle back on the forgiveness part. All the things he just said. He wants to talk about forgiveness a little bit more. Look at verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people from their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your offenses. Jesus knows that unforgiveness in our human relationships damages our ability to commune with God because it damages our hearts. If we are saving room in our heart for grudges and anger, then when we go to God, that's all there is for him. Grudges and anger. We need to be peacemakers. And if we are peacemakers, God is going to make peace with us. And the doors to effective prayer are going to be wide open. And we'll be able to fully and sincerely communicate with the creator of the universe. Of all the things that Jesus mentions in his teaching on prayer, and for, on prayer, forgiveness is by far the most repeated and important topic. Think about that. Just let that sit there. Maybe there's someone you need to make peace with. So in this last section, we're going to be talking about fasting, which is interesting given the week. Now, fasting is much less common today than it was in the early church. And I actually think that's a bad thing. So when we're talking about fasting, I want to be very clear. We're talking about not eating food. Okay? So sometimes modern Christianism, we say, oh, yeah, I'm fasting from social media. You know, I'm fasting from uh, fasting from... Fox News or political discourse or whatever you watch. Like, I just don't want to hear that stuff anymore. I'm, I'm fasting from my TV. I'm fasting from Stardew Valley, whatever, okay? You're fasting from something else. But when we're talking about fasting here, when Jesus talks about fasting, it is from food. Not eating anything. And there's a really important reason why that is the case. Because fasting takes two realities of the world and it smashes them together in a way that nothing else can. The first reality is we are all dependent on food. All right? If we do not eat for a month, we will not be in good shape. All right? If you don't believe me, go ahead and try. The second reality, which is less obvious to the world, is that all life is also dependent on God. Right? So every breath... Every heartbeat. The countless living creatures that we never see out in the world 
The rain that brings life, the sun that warms our planet, is sustained by God. And fasting connects the hunger and the necessity that we have on on food, and it reminds us that we have that exact same hunger and dependence on God. So when you're hungry and you're fasting, you can say, that's what my soul needs. When you're hungry and you're fasting and you feel weak and you're like, I'm going to die if I don't get more food, without God, you're nothing. Fasting is so important. I don't think we think about it enough in our modern day culture. So what does Jesus say about fasting? Look at verse 16. When you fast, there it is again, when, not if, not maybe someday, but when, when you fast, do not make a gloomy face as the mask wearers do the hypocrites, for they distort their faces so that they will be noticed by people when they are fasting. You guys ever watch Star Wars when... Like, Luke finds out that Darth Vader is his dad, like that really contorted face. Like, nah! That's what I imagine, okay? So, don't be like that. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. They have everything that they're wanting. And it's from some other person. But as for you, when you fast, anoint your head with oil and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by other people but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It seems that Jesus anticipates us doing all these things on a regular basis. Giving, praying, and fasting. And when we do these things, it's really important that we do it the right way. And when you're fasting, Make sure that you're not putting on this show of like, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm like haggard, I'm falling apart, and I'm going to degrade into nothing, right? Or I'm, especially, you're not allowed to be grumpy, hangry, right? That totally defeats the point, right? If you just fast and then you're mad at everybody for a, wait, a day, you know, like, what's the point? Your heart's not in the right place, right? You have to attempt to clean yourself up, be joyous, commune with God. Take some of that time you would take eating and preparing food. Spend that time with God. Right? And as I was reading this section, I was thinking about it, I realized, hey, maybe I don't fast like I should. It's been a long time since I fasted. I have before. It's been a really long time. And I realized... I, I give and I pray, but there seems to be this really important spiritual practice that Jesus talked about here that I don't do. And maybe you're in the same boat. I, I'm feeling the weight of this just as much as anybody else. Jesus is crashing into my spiritual chimney and making me rethink some things this week. So when we fast, our hearts need to be focused on God and not on what other people think about it. I know I've already talked for a little bit today. I didn't preface it by being a long sermon. I apologize. But I want to finish off with some thoughts that I think uh, stand out to me from what Jesus has particularly said for this particular week. This week, today, right now, is our Sacrifice Giving Sunday. Sacrifice Sunday. 
And it's also our day of feasting here together as a church. And in the United States, this week we're celebrating Thanksgiving. So I think it's perfect that Jesus would talk to us about how to give properly, how to talk to God properly, be thankful, and then how to fast properly. Today, after this message, we are going to take part in our sacrifice Sunday giving. And when you give, make sure your heart's in the right place. Right? And this week, maybe you should try to go to God with an honest and genuine prayer. You don't have to like go into your closet and shut the door. Go somewhere where there's no distractions. Turn your phone off for a little bit, please. And just be with God for a little bit and let him see your heart. Just be honest with him. And if there's something there that's stopping you from focusing on it, especially some unforgiveness, you go take care of that first. Either in here or with another person. And sometimes you can't go take care of it with another person because they're not going to reciprocate it. But forgiveness is in here. It's not what another person says about it. All right? And then maybe, if you're really brave, you should consider fasting sometime soon. Maybe it's just a day. Maybe it's a couple days. Maybe it's longer. Maybe it's not even this week. But sometime soon. Consider fasting. Because I think in this country, we do not go hungry enough. We are a gluttonous country. And I think some good, godly fasting will help us in profound ways that we don't understand. So once, one thing that we've learned from the words of Jesus is that spiritual practice is of giving and prayer and fasting are important to him. And that should make them important to us. And the reward of spiritual discipline is God's heart. Is God's heart taking over your heart? Everyone has a heart, but some people have God's heart. So I encourage you this week, seek out prayer. Seek out giving. Seek out fasting sometime soon. Let's pray now as we prepare ourselves for the time of sacrifice, uh, sacrifice Sunday and giving. Let's just get our hearts and our minds in the right place. God, I just pray that um, we take the time to recognize who you are. You are great and powerful and loving and wholly unique. There are things that we need, God, and you know what they are. Take care of them. But as we come to give this week, I just pray that you... Make sure that our hearts are in the right place. Maybe expose something that we need to take care of, someplace that you want to change in us. And then give us the strength and courage to follow through on that. Keep working in our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.